This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. You're listening to an Art House Roadshow movie review. Welcome back, movie nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. I am here with a spoiler review of Wakanda Forever. We have done a no-spoiler review of it, and so if you have not seen the movie and don't want to see it spoiled, please uh, feel free to shut this off and go listen to the spoiler review and then come back and listen to this whenever you are um, done watching the movie. Um, So this is your warning. There will be spoilers ahead, um, and please know... (laughs) That is not my intention to spoil it for you. So if you haven't seen it, don't want to spoil it. Again, this is your final warning. So let's just dive into this. Um, this is a very moving movie. Um, I think that it really does a, a great job trying to pay tribute to uh, Chadwick Boseman. Um, the opening crawl, the Marvel um, logo is itself um, filled with pictures of Chadwick Boseman. It is quite beautiful. Um the, the opening scene um, before the crawl is uh, Shuri um, with a prayer, uh, which I said in the North Spoiler review that this is a very spiritual movie. In some sense, this is a crisis of faith for Shuri that she struggles with even to the end. Who she's going to be, how she's going to be faithful to the past behind her, and what kind of new legacy she's going to chart for the Black Panther. Um, but yeah, it opens up when you've, you don't really learn a lot about why T'Challa is sick. There's just some kind of mysterious illness that he has. You never see him. Um, Ryan Coogler and Kevin Feige have both said that they're never, they're not going to recreate um, uh, Chadwick Boseman in any form as T'Challa, and so you never see him. Uh, you just see Shuri uh, and then Ramona, the uh, the mother of T'Challa, um, as they are kind of grieving through this. There's a casket, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's very moving. You know, in the end, there's the four. Chadwick Boseman, so this film's dedicated to him, and so really they just do their best to try and make this as much um, a film to honor his legacy um, in this uh, MCU, but also just as Black Panther, because this has been such an important character, not only for the MCU, but for culture in general, and I think that it's really essential to to see this film and, and to really pay tribute to him, because I think it does a great job in that. As I mentioned in the No Spoiler Review, this is the end of Phase 4 for Marvel as they're heading into Phase 5. I feel in a sense that um, they're losing a little bit of steam. I liked this movie a lot, but um, in some sense, like this entire section was about grieving. I mean, this one's grieving the loss of T'Challa. Um, WandaVision and, you know, is, is grieving the loss of Vision. I mean, even uh, Multiverse of Madness itself is about grief, and so it's the result of Endgame and things of that, that nature. So this whole series has been about grief, and so we've been kind of waiting through that for a while. Um, and so I'm interested to see where Phase 5 goes. By no means do I say that when it's lost steam that somehow it's been bad. Um, the tone has definitely changed. So for example, the tone of this movie is very different than like She-Hulk, which just uh, wrapped um, with its season finale. And so it's interesting to see where the tone is going to go going forward. Obviously, I can speculate with the tone for um, multi uh, the Quantum Mania. Obviously, on the horizon is uh, Kang the Conqueror and Secret Wars. And so it'll be interesting to see where Marvel goes. But since this didn't have an Avengers buildup, and I don't think it should have, because it is very much about grieving the loss of all the people that have died as a result of Endgame or uh, who have left the MCU. I mean, you've got a lot of people... Um, 
that are really grieving some things inside the story. So it would kind of be, I think, a little um, fake to try and build to an Avengers movie this big threat after they were all still grieving. Obviously, there are little threats that all of them and all the characters engage in, but nothing Avengers level. Um, and I think that's uh, that's appropriate. It's appropriate with everything that's happened to these characters and how they're trying to rebuild. And so they're going to regroup into Quantum Mania, and we're going to be heading into a new phase. And so the tone of this one has been grief, for sure. Um, now, one of the things I really appreciate about this film, as it's, again, trying to pay tribute to Chadwick Boseman, is that they really put a lot of T'Challa, like Chadwick Boseman, into T'Challa. Um, for those of you who may have not followed this, like Chadwick Boseman died uh, tragically of cancer, um, and he kind of suffered in silence. Uh, he didn't really tell anybody. Um, some may speculate that if he would have just like taken a break from acting and and actually, um, you know, focused on treatment, maybe he would have made it through. But um, you know, the the problem is is that you know if he would have done that, he wouldn't have played all these characters that uh, people are really liked and the last his body of work towards the end of his life was just really impressive with black panther with 21 bridges with the five bloods and all these other films too that chadwick boseman was in really did a great job with that and so you know he made the choice that he wanted to make these characters and bring them to life and and so he did and so uh you know he he died and suffered in silence not many people knew that he was sick until at the very end and so they kind of make that here the same way they you have shuri at one point in time um who talks about um uh how he suffered in silence before he turned to her and she wasn't able to help him you know and that's that's a, a part of her grief and her struggle as well as i'm assuming that his family and, and fans also felt that way too um and so it pays tribute to him in that sense but it also introduces a couple new characters in the no-spoiler version I, I introduced. I talked about Namor. I didn't talk about Riri Williams um, because, you know, she's not really directly addressed in the the trailers. And, you know, I didn't want to spoil anything for that. But um, I think that for both Riri and um, Namor, they introduced two amazing new characters with Ironheart and Prince Namor. And so um, Namor being a, like a godlike power, he identifies actually, one of the things is interesting as a mutant, um, which I think continues that theme of like introducing mutants within like Marvel as, you know, Miss Marvel did that. Now you have Namor doing that. And so I think that's, that's really interesting, um, for that. But Riri Williams is great. She's an MIT, um, student at the time and she's already built her first kind of like suit. Um, there's the moment where Suri first meets her and sees kind of her spe sketches of the, like the power core of the um, Ironheart suit, and she asks, "Is this Stark tech?" Um, and several points, like several characters, identify her suit as an Iron Man um, suit. So uh, she's supposed to be showing up in Secret—I mean, not Secret Wars—in Iron Wars um, with uh, Rhodey to fight off all the people that have found, you know, some of the Iron Man suits. And so I'm interested to see how she. Um, uh, folds into the MCU. She's very brilliant, you know, just like Tony Stark went to, goes to MIT, just like Tony Stark did. Um, all these things, I think, are really interesting to see as a development of her character. It's it's fascinating um, to see all these things that uh, she's able to do, and I think her suit looks amazing. It has some of the classic Iron Man features, like with the Unibeam, but also it's got some really, really, really cool um, other features as well. And so, um, even with the tragedy and the grieving, they, these new characters with Namor and her, I think are really great. Now, this whole story 
is is a story basically around Shuri, who herself, if you remember from the first Black Panther film, you know, who mocks tradition in the words of M'Baku, is having to come to reconcile with the fact of her own kind of lack of faith and her trying to discover faith in a certain sense of that with her technology. She puts a lot of trust in her technology, but as the very opening scene shows, her technology actually fails her. Um, and so now she's trying to recalibrate and redetermine who she is, what she's doing, and how it relates to all of these various um, aspects of her life, you know, being the very spiritual side of Wakanda, but also the very technologically proficient side of her um, as well. And, you know, she starts off with um, this prayer of desperation, and then most of the movie just in a place of no faith and just no, um, and no hope, um, and then ultimately has to like summon this tradition of the Black Panther forward. Because if you remember in the first Black Panther and something they touched on a lot is that Killmonger really wrecks the tradition of the Black Panther because he destroys all of the heart-shaped herbs, which, you know, as you know, are the ways in which the Black Panther actually um, gains his power. And so there's no Black Panther. Um, and so the uh, this not only impacts Shuri, the loss of her brother, and Ramona, the loss of her son, but also all of Wakanda. Uh, Black Panther was the protector of Wakanda. I mean, uh, T'Challa says that even as soon as Civil War in the MCU. Um, and so uh, this, this idea of her having to, with technology, create this heart-shaped herb, because that's what she ultimately does. In the beginning of the movie, she's trying to recreate the heart-shaped herb to give to T'Challa so that he would not succumb to his illness, but she can't m make the technology work. She has to use, um, you know, not only uh, a strand kind of from the, uh, like, vibranium, uh, pure vibranium that was found in uh, in Talokan, uh, which we'll talk about here in a second, um, and the mother of Namor, but also the blood of um, T'Challa and just even um, some of her own like technological proficiency. So she ultimately ends on this marrying of technology, tradition, and what she's wanting for the future. Uh, she doesn't quite make the full turn, which we'll talk about here in a bit, because even as she realizes she has to put on the mantle of the Black Panther when she goes to the ancestral plane, she doesn't see her mom, she doesn't see her dad, she doesn't even see T'Challa. She sees Killmonger, which I think is one of the coolest reveals of this film. Um, and she's, uh, what's interesting is that, you know, this, this conversation in that moment, she's wanting to, um, you know, kill Namor. She's wanting to do vengeance because ultimately when Namor comes to Wakanda, he really wrecks things and, and ultimately kills the queen. Um, which again was a shock for me. I think that them killing off another major character in Wakanda, um, after the loss of, of Chadwick Boseman was a shock to me. I didn't think they would go there. Because if you think about it, like now Shuri's lost everything. She's lost her father, her mother, and her brother, which is quite a lot. This is Spider-Man level of loss. Um, and so I think that it's, 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 really, it's really hard for her because she wants vengeance. Um, but, you know, Umbaku and several other people try and bring her back to the tradition of her ancestors and ultimately to the place of where it's not about seeking vengeance, but about seeking justice and a positive way forward, which is itself, again, arises from their faith um, and I think is an essential kind of like tool that you see in this film. Now, like I said, this is a spiritual film. There's lots of prayers. There's lots of 
death rituals, things like that. There's also like a lot of, and this is something I couldn't talk about on the no spoiler review because again, it happens in the film. There's lots of movements through water. I mean, this is about an underwater nation, Talokan. Um, and so you see a lot of scenes of the main characters. Like, so for example, when Shuri goes to the ancestral plane, she starts underwater and emerges from it, right? So there's this kind of, again, this cleansing in a certain sense, this kind of like new birth um, through all of these things because they're fighting in water in a lot of spaces. And I think that's a very significant, there's, I mean, obviously like the heart-shaped herb has a kind of sacramental feature to it. Um, and there's just, I mean, the scenes where there's a funeral, if you know anything about kind of like African spirituality, there's the watering kind of of this ground as a way of like honoring the ancestors who have gone before us. Um, and I, th I think that it's, it's really interesting to see like how, um, how they try and, um, weave all these things together. Now, one of the elements, the biggest elements, uh, is the introduction of Namor and the Talokan people. Um, in the comics, um, Namor is the king of Atlantis and because of DC and Aquaman, they've moved away from that and they've instead made, um, uh, Namor, um, kind of like a, from Mayan ancestry and that his people were overrun by, uh, co like colonists and things like that. And so, um, one of the things, um, uh, that you see here is this, um, movement um, like, cause again, one of the big themes, like I mentioned in the, in the no spoiler account was this, uh, like this reinvigoration and re-understanding of colonialism as it, as it pertains to Wakanda. Wakanda, obviously being in Africa, dealt with colonialism, not only in Black Panther, but here again, now we're dealing with different colonialism in terms of geograph, like geographically with Talokan. Um, the Talokan people were overrun by colonists given smallpox blankets, which, you know, just historically we know that happened. Um, and in, as a result, um, there was a vision given to one of their shaman and they found a, a, an herb growing from a glowing rock, which we find out was um, vibranium. And he gives it to his people, gives them powers, and they all move underwater because now they, the, the powers that it gives them is the ability to breathe underwater. Um, and one of the women refuses to um, until she's kind of basically tricked into it by the shaman and her son is Namor who has lar like longer life. Like he, he isn't just like able to breathe underwater, but he has a long life. Um, and he identifies again as a mutant. So what's interesting is again, the colonial theme of them, you know, displacing people and having to be underwater in this birth of this new kingdom. Um, you get kind of a glimpse at it in one scene, but you don't really get, um, as much of an exploration of it as you do in say like Aquaman um, or something like that. But um, I think it's really interesting, this idea of uh, now there's two kingdoms that use vibranium. I mean, albeit differently, um, you know, in some sense, the people of Talokan seem to be a little bit stronger than the people of Wakanda, which nonetheless is, you know, doesn't make Wakanda any less powerful on a global scale, but you know, it ultimately, um, when they battle, like the people of Wakanda are no match for the people of Talokan, which is again, really interesting to see. They're both using vibranium in some sense, the technology of Wakanda is a little bit more developed. Um, but nonetheless, like the, the power of the Talokan people are, is, is pretty, pretty outstanding. Um, and so I, I just wanted to highlight that, that it's really interesting to see this theme of colonialism, um, from the other side of the globe. Um, now, existing here as a very essential 
piece and element of this new story they're telling about Namor. Um, and I think that the actor who plays Namor just crushes it, does a great job, um, really balances between um, the, uh, like the, um, what I'll call, um, you know, humor and, and seriousness of like his trauma of losing his, uh, his mom, his people. Um, the big reason why Namor is introduced is that uh, Riri Williams it creates at MIT an ability to find um, vibranium. Uh, which is a huge issue. One of the central kind of political themes of this film is that the nations are wanting vibranium and vibranium weapons from Wakanda. So if you remember at the end of Black Panther, T'Challa says they're going to start establishing outreach centers and share their knowledge with the world, but that does not include Wakandan vibranium or Wakandan weaponry. And the rest of the world, that's really all they're interested in. Um, so when Ramona goes before the UN, she's kind of chastised for the uh um but from the u.s and also from uh um, france uh for these weapons that they they say that that was promised by the former king and come to find out this is at the backdrop of it um of this uh hearing that the french nation has tried to infiltrate one of these outreach centers um and uh take vibranium um and you know ramona has this really great speech here where she talks about how, um, you know, I know what you're saying, you know, you're saying we're weak and all this other stuff. And, um, and uh, I just want you to know that we are still strong. And if we ever catch anybody um, trying to steal Wakandan secrets or vibranium or things of that nature, um, we will use deadly force. And so I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting story. Um, like I said, um, in that sense, because, you know, it's, they're, they're trying to, um, um, they're trying to tell this, um, the story about Wakanda being attacked from all sides internally, um, over the kind of strife about what to do in the wake of T'Challa externally, not only from the United Nations, but also from Talo Khan. Um, and what is the future of Wakanda going to look like? You know, Shuri gets to shape that, um, in her own way, she's the new Black Panther by the end of this film, and it appears that M'Baku is the new king of Wakanda, which is really interesting, the, um, the kind of merging of Wakanda and the Jabari tribes, I think will be really fascinating to see how they play that out. Um, and so, yeah, um, lots of themes here, things that we could talk about, you know, I, like I said, um, love the new characters, I definitely miss Chadwick Boseman, um, and I love what they're doing with this kind of Wakanda now is very much positioned as an enemy of the state. One of the characters, again, that they use in this film that they've kind of gestured towards, kind of like the anti-Phil Coulson for this phase, has been uh, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Um, uh, she's, you know, who's played by Julia Louise Dreyfus. She first appeared um, in uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Um, and then she appeared in um, uh, Black Widow. Now, granted, she was supposed to appear in Black Widow first, but um, ultimately, you know, just due to the fact that Black Widow was delayed, um, she was not. Uh, um, she was she was ultimately pulled from that. Um, she was ultimately just showed up in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier first. Um, and she, if you know anything about the comics, she's behind the um, uh, like a new kind of Avengers-like team 
which she's already started to assemble with, you know, Agent 47, um, as the, or U.S. Agent, not Agent 47, sorry. U.S. Agent, which is the um, John Walker version of Captain America. Uh, you've got the Abomination that was in She-Hulk. Um, you know, the Thunderbolts is what they're called. Um, uh, with the death of the actor who plays General Ross, it'll be interesting to see where they go with that, but she's very much in charge of this and seems to be kind of establishing herself as a main kind of villain that I imagine is building up a team of people that we will see in some later movie. I believe there's some Thunderbolts-type property on the future horizon. Um, and um, anyway, like that's that's really interesting. And, uh, you know, so that political dynamic is in the background. So this film does a lot to kind of set up the future. But it looks like Wakanda is going to face some more threats before things get better. The United States government seems to be not okay with Wakanda and thinks that what they're doing is an act of aggression. And so it will be interesting to see um, where this all goes um, and where they ultimately, you know, turn to. I mentioned in the spoiler, uh, the no spoiler review, that there was something at the end that um, didn't quite make sense to me. So um, Siri remakes the heart-shaped herb. She has the experience with Killmonger. She comes out with every intention of killing Namor, but decides not to. At the end, she makes a calculated risk to um, not do that. She there's It's kind of a callback to the scene where... Um, Chadwick Boseman spear, spares the life of Umbaku, um, and you know she gets him to yield, right? She gets him to yield, um, and ultimately he agrees to yield, and he bows the knee to her, um, because the whole point of the like the reason why that Riri Williams finding vibranium was such an issue is that they found the vibranium outside of Talokan, and he's so afraid because of what happened to his people in the past. And once people find the vibranium that leads to Talokan, that his people will be in danger. And so he wants to wipe out the surface world. He wants Wakanda to help him, um, but ultimately he gets defeated by Wakanda. So now he seems to be, at the end of the movie, he's asked why he let that happen. So the reason is because um, he thinks the world is going to attack Wakanda now. And he is Wakanda's only ally, and then he'll destroy the surface world. What's interesting to me is that he decides to go along with that. Like, obviously, Shuri, like, exposes a weakness, but she lets him live. He could have turned on her. Um, in essence, I think that part of this might be that Namor sometimes is a, an Avenger himself. And so they're trying to leave open this, like, turn to good. And he has a very sympathetic story, trying to protect his people. He's experienced a lot of really bad stuff. Um, and so, you know, I think that they're trying to leave open a positive read of his story. But nonetheless, this is this was a curious way to end this movie, um, for sure. Um, in terms of um, after credit scenes, you find out that Nakia had a child with T'Challa, um, and you meet that child. But there's no other end credit scenes for this at all. Kind of like at the end of Endgame, there really wasn't any end credit scenes except for the the pounding of the hammer, which was Tony Stark making the Iron Man suit in the first place. So anyway, um, very interesting story. Um, I think that I'm, you know, I, even though I'm like a little suspicious of what happened there at the end, I'm, I'm more curious about where they're going to go here with the story of Wakanda. Um, it seems like they're a little bit in trouble and they're a little weak, you know, I mean, Namor wiped out a lot of their soldiers, a lot of their army. And so I, they, they are weaker than they have ever been, but the Black Panther is back. Suri is the Black Panther and Umbako appears to be the king. So it will be interesting to see where we go from here. I can't wait to see Umbaku, uh, Umbaku in a, uh, um, a UN meeting. And so it'll be interesting to see there what, what uh, they have to do there. But anyway, um, 
that's the spoiler review. Excited about what has that what's to come. Really excited about seeing Riri Williams again um, in the Iron Heart suit. Um, so um, we'll see where that goes. She had to leave it in Wakanda, and so I'm assuming she'll be able to get it back, or she'll build a new one. You know, she's a genius at all. She's the new kind of Tony Stark figure. And so I'm interested to see where this is all going. Uh, with the MCU kind of losing a lot of its figureheads, I mean, the loss of Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron, Iron Man cannot go um, overstated. I mean, the loss of Chris Evans as Captain America. Um, even Chadwick Boseman. I mean, they've lost a lot of their main faces. And so what's interesting is that, you know, DC seems to be retooling in the Black Adam review that I, I did. I, you, you'll know I... I said that this uh, the theme of Black Adam seems to be kind of a more openness to levity, but also still kind of a darker theme. I I think if if um, now with James Gunn being in charge, if if they really decide to lean into the heaviness of this um, um, period, like this these kind of characters, like they did with Black Adam, while also maintaining a little bit of levity, I think they could really overtake Marvel as the more successful superhero franchise because they still have all their main characters. There's rumors about, you know, um, uh, Ben Affleck coming back to play the DCU Batman. Um, and all these things seem to be heading up and up for for them. And so I think that, you know, with the fact that they still have Superman with Henry Cavill um, now back as Superman as he's leaving the role of the Witcher, um, you know, there could be this could be some really good signs for this. And I think that, you know, um, even if like, the MCU can introduce things like the Fantastic Four and the X-Men and even Deadpool for that matter with the return of, uh, of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. You know, I don't know. I think that MC, the MCU might be a little bit in trouble with that regard. I mean, obviously they'll still make a lot of money and still make some wonderful movies, but it's hard to see how they're going to reclaim the, um, the grandeur of what they had at Endgame. I mean, that seemed to be the pinnacle, but you know, I, I've been wrong before. I mean, No Way Home for me was even higher than Endgame, so um, I will leave it up to them, and we'll see where it goes. But I'm excited about it as a result of this film, and I do hope you'll go see it. Let me know what you think, and I will see you there next time on The Art House Roadshow. Take care, everyone. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.
And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.